This is Ron Thurston, and today I am live from the Airstream in Palm Springs, California, with Joe Lapardi, the head of retail for Trina Turk and Mr. Turk. Welcome to Retail in America. This podcast is part of the Retail in America tour, my year-long journey to discover incredible retail heroes all across the country, celebrating our retail culture, community, and careers. Go to RetailPride.com or on Instagram at RetailPride to see it all, including past podcast episodes, playlists, and more. When planning our time in Palm Springs and thinking about who I wanted to speak to for the Retail in America tour, Trina Turk was very high on that list as an iconic brand to the area. And Joe and I have been connected for several years, so I'm very excited to have this conversation. But before we get started, I wanted to thank the three important title sponsors for the Retail in America tour and this podcast. Spotify Advertising. Spotify has grown to over 420 million monthly unique registered users around the globe, over half of which are supported on the ad platform. Spotify Advertising will help you reach and target your audience across devices, locations, and formats. Ubik. Ubik is a frontline employee experience platform. It's an all-in-one mobile app that provides retail leaders and their frontline teams with inclusive communications, mobile learning, and digitized task management, all in their flow of work. And KWI. KWI is the industry's only true turnkey omni-channel platform for specialty retailers. With over 35 years of experience, let KWI help you execute flawlessly with the features that matter most, including endless aisle, clienteling, mobile checkout, inventory management, e-commerce, and more. The links to learn about all three of these great brands will be in the show notes and at retailpride.com. And with that, let's get started with my conversation with Joe. So Joe, welcome to Retail in America. Thanks, Ron. I'm so happy that you're here. I'm really excited. Thank you for having me. Of course. So we are sitting in the Airstream in Palm Springs, California, and your sweater says Palm Springs on the front of it. Just in case we needed to remind ourselves where we are. (laughs) For those of you that haven't seen the photograph, it's a very iconic Mr. Turk kind of look that Joe has on today. So we'll, we'll talk about that brand. Um, but before we get started, I wanted to say, you know, you and I have known each other for sounds like 2015. Yes. We've met. And mm-hmm. so the, I think it's really a story of how do we in our industry continue just to connect and then maintain relationships because we've only seen each other a couple of times yet. I've known where you were working. You knew what I was doing. We've always just stayed connected. Exactly. And I think that's the beauty of this industry is the whole connection piece. Yeah. You know, whether it's like the connection that we have or the connections that we have with clients, with our team members, it's for me, it's always about getting the connection and then maintaining it and nurturing it over time. Because it could lead to career opportunities. It could lead to us offering other people that we know for career opportunities. It's just a really important component to success in retail. Totally agree. So I'm going to read a few things about you, and then we're going to jump into you telling your story. All right. So Joe Lapardi is an accomplished retail executive overseeing the brick-and-mortar businesses for Trina Turk and Mr. Turk. He's held leadership roles for notable brands such as Diesel, C.H. Carolina Herrera, 
St. John Knits, and Cartier. Joe prides himself on building and retaining dynamic teams at all levels, being a company culture proponent, leveraging an elevated event strategy to benefit local charities and nonprofits, and delivering positive results. He refers to himself as a people-centric leader who values his relationships with internal and external clients. He has pioneered client development programs, led teams through the construction of mission, vision, and value statements, and is leading his present team to deliver the strongest net sales results in company history this year. It's amazing. When he was not making market visits with his teams and clients, he's working on restoring a 1930s bungalow he recently purchased with his fiancee here in Los Angeles. So Joe, because this is retail in America and we are here in Palm Springs, there was a specific reason I wanted to speak to you because the brand you work for and Trina are so iconic to Palm Springs. Quintessential Palm Quintessential. Springs. So I was scrolling through the website again this morning and you know looking at the Thurston Blazer, which mm-hmm. I've had my eye on for, for many years. But the idea of kind of the aesthetic of the brand is just so rooted in Palm Springs. It is. One of Trina's main loves is this area of Southern California. And she's very much present in the community. She is a proponent of the arts and and architecture and uh, historic preservation. And there's a lot of that here in, mm-hmm. in Palm Springs. And what she conveys through her designs for the last 26, almost 27 years now is that nod to what it's like to be a part of the Palm Springs community. Mm-hmm. And how would you describe the retail um, community here? I mean, I've led stores in Cabazon for different brands. Um, I've not had something, you know, in downtown Palm Springs, but how would you describe just the retail community here? It's very interesting. The Coachella Valley in, in general, retail has changed significantly over the course of the last several years, um, especially during the pandemic. There were a lot of changes in residents who was moving into the area, who was staying in the area, and that attracted a lot of brands mm-hmm. into, into town, shall we say, that may not have had a presence here before. And to your point about Cabazon, I think at one point, a lot of name brands were only in Cabazon. But then you've got this great shopping district out here in El Paseo, which is a little bit more Palm Desert focused. That's kind of a reflection of some of those very high-end brands that you'll see there or on Rodeo Drive or in South Coast Plaza. Um, So the retail landscape has grown and changed quite a bit here. Mm -hmm. And this is a very strong shopping destination. A lot of people come here from other parts of the country. They come from Southern Canada. They spend a significant amount of time here. Mm -hmm. And I think the retail landscape has really kind of grown to meet those consumer needs. Mm -hmm. It feels that way very much, along with the restaurant scene, along with the art scene. And there just seems to be this evolution of what it means to be in the desert. Absolutely. In a, in a more luxurious way. Right. It's great right. to see. Yeah. Let's speak for a moment more just around Palm Springs because mm-hmm. this is also a very seasonal business. Oh, yes. And so you have a team where you have really high highs and really low lows from right. my own experience. Sure. So how do you, as a leader, keep them engaged year round mm. when you know the, the money is coming at different times? Two big areas of focus for us. 
create tools and resources that team members can take advantage of and utilize to keep their business strong when physical traffic is not present. And an example of that, we have a virtual transaction program. When I started with the brand, we were focusing on consignment or merchandise on approval. And in some areas, that business model is really strong Mm -hmm. and some clients gravitate towards that very well and they love that kind of experience, but it's not consistent from Mm -hmm. geography to to geography. same experience at Intermix. Yeah. So I changed the concept. So it's not just focusing on sending a box of merchandise out on approval, but determining how to create a virtual, non-physical, non-in-the-store type of transaction. I don't measure traffic. I measure transactions. That's how we build our business right now. And focusing time, energy, and resource development on the virtual transaction process has created space for team members to keep sales up when traffic is down. Right, right. So if we could go to 30,000 feet and talk about retail, here we Mm -hmm. are, spring of 2023. Mm -hmm. What are your observations as we approach a new year? Not Mm -hmm. just in your brand, but as an industry, what are you hearing from your friends, peers, other industry leaders? I think it's a year of cautious optimism. I think there was a lot of chatter, Q4, and as a result of the holiday experience of 2022, where a lot of folks in this industry were were asking some questions about how is 2023 going to be? Mm-hmm. Are we going to have to make any radical changes to our, our approach or our business model? And I think with the way 23 is launched and some of those external factors that are our economic drivers, I think we're feeling a little bit more optimistic than we okay. were four months ago. Okay. Doesn't mean that anything's coming easy, of course. We're still working very hard for all of those experiences and transactions and connection points. Yeah. Uh, but there's less resistance anticipated so far. Okay. You know, the other big thing that we're seeing in terms of what clients are gravitating towards is they're going back towards structured garments. Mm. Uh, which is, I think, is very interesting because the last several years have been very about comfort and, and, and right, exactly. Yeah. And now if people are going out more here and there, they're more social, they're taking vacations, right. and they want to dress for those occasions. Right. So, right. understood. I want to hear more about your story. So, you've worked for incredible brands. You have I'm this very reputation. fortunate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very fortunate. We all, yes, we all are. And I think would love to hear just a little bit more about your your journey. Absolutely. Well, I kind of like a lot of us that are still in retail. I started in retail very young. I was in school, so I was doing this school and, and retail thing. Again, not alone in that portion of the journey. And when I got out of school, I was immediately working with call centers. I was working with very traditional business models and I was very customer service focused, client centric, but all on the phone and for health insurance companies, which was the furthest thing you could get (laughs) from fashion and, and, and fashion retail. And it was great. It was very stable. I learned a good deal about leading teams in very unique circumstances because even though these teams are client facing, uh, this is the late nineties, early two thousands. You're not seeing anybody. You're not digitally communicating. It's all via voice and it's all remote contact. So that was an interesting experience and it led me from health insurance to the home shopping network, which was a little bit closer to. And you're from the Northeast. So is that that why? I am. Yes. Yes. 
So it was a little bit closer to getting back into retail. And then there were some economic troubles following 9-11, which I found myself laid off from HSN Mm. looking for some work. And uh, long story short, I ended up apprenticing with a friend of mine and became a dog groomer. of all things. (laughs) And I'm a pretty ambitious guy. And I thought if I'm doing this for someone else, why can't I just do it for myself? Why can't I be self-sufficient and go out on my own? And I did. And for five years, I didn't realize it would be that long, but for five years, I ran my own dog boarding salon and my dog grooming salon. Oh, wow. And was having a great time. I don't remember you ever sharing this. (laughs) It's it's deep in my resume, (laughs) deep on my LinkedIn profile. And I used a lot of what I learned from my first round of retail when it came to running my own business, because I was doing everything. I was completely self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. I was the groomer. I was the boarder. I was the maintenance guy. I was marketing. I was finance. I was all of it. And it was great. And I learned a ton about myself. I learned a huge amount about what it means to connect with clients and gain their trust and gain their loyalty and how to put yourself out there in a community where nobody knows you mm-hmm. and figure out how to turn that into a revenue revenue generating operation. And it was fun, but it was five long years of, you know, there was no PTO. I was going to say that's a, that's seven. (laughs) When you're boarding, that is 24 seven. It was right. It was all day, every day. And I remained a student of fashion and and fashion was my hobby. So I'm grooming the dogs and boarding the dogs and taking care of my clients in that way. But I'm looking at at the time Details Magazine and all of these fashion publications. And I fell in love with the ad campaigns that Diesel had put Mm -hmm. out. I thought they were really cool, very unique, very provocative in a lot of different ways. But what it was communicating to me was fashion wasn't just about clothes. It was about a culture. And I thought that when I had that realization, I thought to myself, I could be a part of this culture, not just as a consumer, but as someone who's working for the brand. Mm -hmm. And I stalked them. I was living in Central Florida at the time. Diesel had opened a store in International Plaza, Mm -hmm. and I just watched their job boards Mm -hmm. for any opportunities. And I finally found one, and it was around the time that I was getting ready to sell the business anyway. So I sold it, and I ended up taking an assistant manager job for Diesel in International Plaza in Tampa. Okay, And and what year was this? Oh, 2006. Okay. 2006. So I started there and I went in and I loved it. It, I I immersed myself in everything that I possibly could. I was engaging and meeting different members of the organization from New York, from Italy. Mm -hmm. And I knew then that this is where I wanted to be until I couldn't work any longer. Mm. The the industry. The industry, right. And I stayed with Diesel for nine years. I was there for a long time, and I asked for every developmental opportunity Mm -hmm. that I could be afforded. I asked to be trained. I asked to be challenged. I moved all over the country for Mm -hmm. for those guys. I ran stores in Southern California, New York City. I had two regional positions with them. I asked to be a student, and they taught me. They taught me everything. And they were great with that. You know, the whole people development piece was was phenomenal. Very strong at it. Very, very good. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I decided I wanted to continue in the industry, but I wanted to try a different version of it. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to test myself in the luxury sector of retail, mm-hmm. which is very interesting because when you're Diesel selling was luxury jeans, though in its own it was. way. It was. From a like denim, the price points at the time exactly. were really kind of setting a new bar. 
it's for true. what luxury it's denim true. was. Right. And I think that's what gave me a real shot at transitioning rather easily mm-hmm. from selling denim to selling luxury leather goods, luxury apparel. And it was my first stint on Rodeo Drive is when I joined the CH Carolina Herrera mm-hmm. brand. And that was a completely eye-opening experience and very different than anything I was accustomed to. And it was a multi-store role, so I was based in Beverly Hills, but I was up in San Francisco, I was opening stores, I was down in San Diego. So it was very West Coast focused, including Hawaii. And as established as the brand was, they had opportunities for things to be created. Mm-hmm. So I took advantage of that. And you know, I learned a great deal. I learned all about luxury standards and presentation. Stores and beautiful. Great set of stores, all of them. I learned how to work with a luxury-minded team mm-hmm. and a luxury-focused consumer. Mm-hmm. And that I was working in different territories, different geographies that I wasn't used to. Yeah. And that was a great experience. And then St. John called and said, hey, come and work for us. And I said, well, iconic american brand okay let's give it a shot yeah based in southern california which was very interesting for me because all of my bases my u.s bases were in new york Mm -hmm. so this was the first time i was based in you know out of a a headquarters and had a really good experience learning again a really iconic story you know Mm -hmm. about this business all the businesses i've worked for were family started which i thought was also very interesting and something that i always connected with is you know people who are brave enough to start something and and take a chance and build something that grows into this massive thing that right. people gravitate towards and, yeah. and and they want to continually participate with. Yeah, and I think about Carolina Herrera and her own kind of voice and vision and and being part of it. Mm-hmm. Same with St. John. Yeah, you know, I exactly. remember the family being in the ads and mm-hmm. and all right. of it. Like they were very involved mm-hmm. in what it meant at that time. Yeah. And this was again one of those really well established American sportswear brands mm-hmm. that had a, a great legacy, a lot of uh, clientele, very loyal to them, following them for decades. So it was a very cool experience. Learned a lot about just dealing with an all female consumer because that was very different for me. Mm-hmm. First time I had only worked with one gender type clothing. So it was good. And now I'm exposed to additional markets because I I was given half of the country. So I got to expand a little bit further east. I was in Kansas City. I was in the Texas market. I was up in Vancouver. So I got to be international. And I thought (laughs) that was very cool. And I was only there for just under two years before Cartier called. And when Cartier calls, you're curious. (laughs) You answer. And I had never worked with jewelry or anything along those lines. But this was, again, another step in that journey of the luxury client experience. Mm-hmm. And I was very eager to to capitalize and, and take advantage of that. And I jumped in, really dynamic organization, again, another family business, incredible legacy and fantastic product, dynamic teams. I was running Southern California and the, the Rodeo Drive location mm-hmm. simultaneously. So it was, it was almost like running two yeah. regions at, at the same time. Great series of challenges, a lot of successes. And then I had the chance to be head of retail for Trina Turk, which was always my end game. Go from a single location manager to a, a district manager or a regional mm-hmm. manager, and then continue on this this journey to go from manager to director, and then to be able to head up a, a retail operation. And, yeah. and that's what Trina Turk gave me the opportunity Incredible. to do. Like, what a journey. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. And now, you know, almost four years later, here I am still with with the, the Trina Turk brand. Incredible. And loving it. You know, the story is so interesting because it, it's to not 
be afraid of taking the experiences you've learned and applying them to maybe smaller. So if you go from Cartier to Trina Turk, revenue-wise, can't compare. Not at all. Uh, and from a like history and infrastructure, you went to a much smaller brand. Sure. But I even I think about myself when I left Tory to move to New York to help launch Bonobos. Mm-hmm. They had almost nothing. They had right. nobody in the office. They had no real sense of what the future was going to be. Mm-hmm. And they said, "Well, we need someone like you that." had all this operations background, all of this store experience to help us create something. Right. It sounds like you did something similar. It was very similar. And and you know, Trina Turk had been doing retail for probably 16 years uh, before I joined the, the organization. So it wasn't a new business model for the brand at all. Mm-hmm. And there were a few predecessors of mine that had done some really great things for the brick and mortar brand experience. And then when I joined in August of 2019, the company was having a really great year. And I had some really good experiences the last quarter of 2019 mm-hmm. and had a great action plan ready to go for 2020. <laughs> and then the world said, stop. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> We've got a plan. You know, it was it was a very interesting time for retail because you're talking about creating and changing things mm-hmm. and having to to kind of really dig deep to make sure that you're taking care of your team and your clients and your business. And that's exactly what 2020 did for me, is I had to hit the pause and come to a full stop on a lot of things. And I had to completely change my lens Mm -hmm. and see everything differently and understand what the world was going through and how to navigate my retail organization through the most trying times of yeah. of, of our, our lifetime, yeah. basically. And lead your team through what that meant. Right. And financially what that meant. Exactly. And I'm assuming that maybe you had some closures, you had some things that, oh, sure, sure. You know, that needed to happen to mm-hmm. keep the business going. Well, and that's that's exactly what happened is we had to make some determinations, you know, in some cases some really difficult decisions. The main objective was keep the company alive. And what do we have to do to to make that happen? Yeah. You know, again, there were some tough choices that had to be made when it came to some of those locations, but we reduced the size of the physical network for a little bit, but focused all of our energy on our most productive storefronts. And as of the end of last year, those storefronts that remained were the ones that had their best year on retail record. And now it's it's 20 years of retail for Trina Turk. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And now to have events in stores and bring that customer back and celebrate the history. Yes. You know, celebrate what it means to have a strong brick and mortar business. Right. To be in touch with your clients. So using all of your years of clienteling to now create this magic back in stores must feel really good. Oh, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. There was that point in time where we all wondered, will we be able to do this again? How will we do this in the future? Will Mm -hmm. clients respond to it? Will people want to engage in the physical space again the way they used to? Mm -hmm. And I think we're all very pleasantly surprised at how rapidly people returned to that physical retail space. They mm-hmm. wanted to have those experiences again. Mm-hmm. And great. we're we're super happy That's great. For, for that. I'm, I'm happy for the brand. Thank it's you. a happy brand it's in general. It's a very happy You brand. can't help but look at that product and smile. <laughs> That's really the goal. That's the I know. Goal. I mean, I just it just makes me happy. I really do want to wear it every day. Right. I don't know why. 
because it, I would have no reason to wear clothes <laughs> like that, but it's an incredible brand. It's, it's yeah. a really great brand. And I think what Trina has been able to do throughout her career is really inspiring. And it's, she's got that unique signature that she has maintained throughout the lifetime of her career. No doubt. It sounds as though, even though it may have been accidental from kind mm -hmm. of your dog grooming, right. you know, I maybe, I don't know that I would call it accidental listening to your story. It's mm -hmm. very intentional today. Oh, yes. You know what you're yes, good at. 1, you can choose the brand you want to work for, mm -hmm. the experience you're creating for your team and for your customer. Right. So it's, I, I would say your career is very intentional now. Oh, yes. What are some of those kind of moments of pride that you've had in your career? <sighs> There's a lot. There's a lot. Like I said, I'm very fortunate to have had the career that I've had. And for me, I always go back to people that I've worked with. And I think what I'm most proud of are when I receive a call or a text or an email from someone or a, a message on, on some sort of social media platform from someone that I worked with in the recent past, not so recent past, reaching out and either asking me for some career advice or asking me to be a reference for them. Mm. And it always makes me feel really good to know that I've not only enjoyed the work that I've done over the last almost two decades, but people have appreciated the experience that they've had with me mm -hmm. and they still look on that fondly. And to me, that's what I'm absolutely the most proud of. That's incredible. And those roots go deep when you cross multiple brands. Oh, sure. So if, if you and I sat here for an hour and thought about all the people we have in common, there are many. Exactly. And whether they've worked for you, they've worked mm -hmm. for me, There's right. there, there are people that have done both. Yes. And so I, I think it's just so fascinating. And you're right, you'd stay close to those people mm -hmm. and and they are really proud moments right. and they're asking for advice. Well, and I think it, you know, the retail community, you know, even in large cities like Los Angeles, New York, everybody still knows everybody. Yeah. So it's a very interesting culture that we have yeah. where, you know, and, and reputation is currency. It means a lot to people. And I put a high level of responsibility on myself when it comes to creating and maintaining my own reputation. Oh. And what inspires you? Like, how do you keep, what, what, what motivates you? How do you keep your, your energy up? What do you do? The beauty of retail is no two days are the same. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, whether business is great or business has opportunities or new collections are coming out, there's always something for me to look forward to in this industry, regardless of the, of the brand that I've worked for. Mm -hmm. uh, my teams, my clients, they always keep me inspired. They always keep me connected. They always also keep me very grounded. And knowing that what I'm doing is serving them is what makes me happy and, and keeps me waking mm -hmm. up. Wow. At some crazy hours every every day. <laughs> <laughs> and long drives. Long drives, you know, long it, flights. I've got a flight on Monday <laughs> um, to that I'm taking to our Dallas market. It's a 5.35 a.m. flight. Okay. So I could get out there in time for an event that's happening between 1 and 4. And then I have to fly back the next day to make sure that I'm here for another event in Palm Springs. So it's, <laughs> But I love that kind of schedule. Right. Yeah, and look at the customers you'll get to meet. They're, it's amazing. Yeah, who are equally obsessed, I would imagine, with your brand. They are. When you see people connecting with your culture, I think that's something that's really special. And yeah. that's a sign that what your brand is doing is correct. Mm -hmm. 
And you had mentioned earlier about community involvement and how important that is to Trina. Mm -hmm. um, are some of those events also tied to charities? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think uh, one of our favorite events are Shop for a Cause events. And whether we host them inside the store or we travel to you know some external location, we are always open to hosting a group or a philanthropy, a nonprofit, and donating a portion of those proceeds to um, to that organization nice. for the evening. Yeah. And yeah. the customer gets to choose or the host Absolutely. sounds like. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yep. So Joe, the, the brands you've worked for have in many cases such legacy of history that are right. all, could be multi-generational. I think of Cartier, I think of St. John, and certainly with your, your current brand, you know, being in mm -hmm. business for a couple of decades, how does that continue to evolve? How does the customer base evolve? How do you keep them engaged, you know, as the customer evolves? It's a lot of different methods that are employed, I think. You know, your the marketing department always plays a significant role in making sure that the communication, the the concept of the brand is mm -hmm. always evolving and, and being shaped by the current landscape, whether it's people who are shopping with us or opportunities that we have to, to be a collaborator or a partner with another organization or another brand. I think that goes really far. Social media has played a huge role in how we are seen as brands now, and we can change that campaign yeah. hourly if we need to or if we want to. And it's a very flexible platform for us to be able to use where we can talk about something that's happening for Trina Turk in Dallas tomorrow, and then the next day we can ship that messaging and talk about what the brand is doing in Palm Springs mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. So I think it's it gives us the opportunity to consistently communicate in real time, and that helps us not only keep our existing clients base engaged, but gets new eyes on us at the right. same time. Right. So I think that's been really important for us. And then I think you know, for, for the store experience, the store clientele, we have to listen to the people that we have the strongest relationships with. And we have to listen harder to the people that we're just meeting. There's no mm. one size fits all communication campaign that we have in any of our stores. Yeah. And when it comes to those relationships, we have to understand why he or she is interested. Right. And then we have to make sure that they know everything that they need to know about the brand and about the clothing and about the lifestyle to ensure that they fall in love and they stay in love. Right. And then sharing that back of saying, we heard you, you wanted right. to be involved in these charities, mm -hmm. you, this yeah. kind of product assortment, this part of the store experience. We heard you. Right. And now this is what we're doing in order to, to meet your expectations. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's great for business. It's great for marketing. Right. Um, it's great for loyalty. Mm -hmm. All of it. We have a couple businesses in general. My Northern California business um, in particular is a very, very, very events driven business. Mm -hmm. So she, the, the manager of that location is on the road quite often. Mm. And it's fantastic. It, it's constantly getting new people to see us, to discover us. You're taking a, a micro boutique with you. So that experience that you want clients to have when they walk into your store, you can replicate on the road for yeah. people that may not have the opportunity to step in to any of your boutiques. Right. So I think that's been a really successful model for us, uh, especially coming out of COVID is you can't get to us. That's fine. We can get to Come you. Come to you. Mm -hmm. And it's very much a luxury model. 
Absolutely. To, you know, Absolutely. Whatever luxury means to that particular customer, sure. you know, right. you're not an entry price point. No. So a trunk show and that kind of charity mm-hmm. benefit is is a huge way to just build build more Absolutely. business, build future business, build the evolution of of what it means. Right. Well, and and you hit something really important. The luxury mindset could be means many things to many different people. But I think what it means for our clients is access. And to be able to create that level of access for people outside the confines of the traditional boutique, I think it's been really meaningful and really important to them. So now that you've had this success and these brands and and what the future in your very intentional career looks like mm-hmm. how do you describe working in retail so one of my favorite questions <sighs> that i often ask is without sharing the brand mm-hmm. how do you describe your career it's one of the greatest loves of my life mm-hmm. and something that i don't view as work but as a passion project you know, you, you find something that you're good at and you are able to put your thoughts and your actions and your ideas into a plan that produces results and is well received by by your peers and, and the people that you work with and report to and people who report into you and your clients. And I think it, it creates this really rewarding scenario and it's fashion. So it's fun, it's creative, it's creating a business model to go with the fashion that someone else is creating. Mm -hmm. And I think that for me is this really unique retail experience. Mm -hmm. And those plans you put into place, you could activate them today. Right. This is one of the things I love. Right. You could say, you know what? Let's try this today. Let's do it. And see what happens. When you work (laughs) in a corporate environment, you know, it takes three months of, of meetings and PowerPoints and approvals and, <laughs> exactly. you know, it goes on and on. And then before a decision is made, I think and in I our love business, a good we PowerPoint. I, I do too. I love a good PowerPoint. <laughs> my, my team will tell you about Joe's PowerPoints and Joe's pivot tables and his Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> I love all that stuff too. But to your point, it's the ability and the agility to say, let's do this today and see what happens. Right. Exactly. And sometimes you're surprised. In both ways. And you say, you know what? I thought that might have worked. It didn't. We're going to try something else. Mm -hmm. I just think that's the entrepreneurial spirit that is alive and well in retail. Yes. Sure. Agreed. And thinking about the brands you've worked for and and your story about Diesel and you being very proactive and saying, I want to work for this brand. Mm -hmm. But as as your career has progressed, what advice would you give others that are either joining this industry you know, that are making a decision about staying in it mm-hmm. or not. Is there any particular advice you give people? Stay open-minded, be brave, take a chance, mm-hmm. and don't be afraid to voice your opinion. Because mm-hmm. again, you may be pleasantly surprised by the results and find yourself 20 years down the road yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sitting in an Airstream talking about your career with the Ron Thurston. <laughs> those those are those are good those are good words. I like the brave part. Got to be brave in this industry. You, you have to be. You, and, and you know what? You, because this you, there's a lot of feedback that's given in retail. Mm. And some of it's very positive and some of it's very motivational and some of it's kind of constructive and some sometimes just doesn't come across very well. But I think you you just have to be, you have to be a brave pioneering soul to go into this industry. Yeah. And you have to have a thick skin and you have to understand that everything that you do is going to 
teach you something. Mm -hmm. And if you're open to learning and you can create that vulnerable space for yourself, then this is a great career for you. Yeah, that's great advice. And ask for what you need. So, you know, always be vocal. Always be vocal Mm -hmm. because you're right. This can be a misunderstood career. So ask for what you need to get where you need to go. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. you, Joe. My pleasure. I'm so Thank happy you. to see you. Likewise. See you in person Thanks here so in, in your, um, in this iconic city and your Palm Springs oh, sweater yes. and, um, and have a great season. Thank great you. season ahead. Thank you. And this is, this is peak time for you. It is. It um, is. And so I'm excited for you. Thank you. I wish you all the best. Thank you, Joe. Take care, Ron. Thank you, Joe, for being on the show today and to everyone for listening. Thank you to my producer, Roy Peretz and our audio engineer, Dean Albach. Subscribe to RetailPride.com and follow me on Instagram at RetailPride to see all the details about this Retail in America tour. And with that, keep your Retail Pride strong, and I will see you on the road.